How do we help our young people today? They're being influenced all around, in their homes, on the streets, online. Not all influences are equally healthy. The city of Milwaukee has expanded a plan to help their at-risk youth. Officials in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, were asking an important question. Do kids need to get in trouble in order to find help? A program was launched in the city to pair at-risk youth with adults from similar backgrounds. The hope was that having a positive relationship with role models would dissuade these young people from pursuing paths that lead to incarceration or worse. In the past year, 77% of the youth participating in this program have stopped engaging in harmful activities. In the Bible, we read of the importance of the older generation mentoring those younger. Why? Because godliness is taught and caught. Be of service to God's people by taking a younger person under your wing. Grow in holiness together. Welcome to Haven Today here on Thursday. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're in a series this week called Christians You Should Know. Our years as teenagers can be quite hard. There are all those changes occurring in your body. You're beginning to mature and make decisions for yourself. You're dealing with the consequences of those changes. But sometimes those difficulties are needed to humble us and to show us our need for a Savior. I was still frustrated, still didn't know where I was going or why I was, why I was alive. And I had caused a massive amount of destruction to, uh, to my hometown, but it was a secret. Nobody knew. We hadn't gotten caught. And I was in this phase where I wanted to change, but didn't know how. And it was right into that moment that I would say God really directly intervened in my life. That was Ben Roberts. He's originally from Ohio, Cleveland area but now a pastor in Vancouver, British Columbia, who will join us in a moment to share how the Lord has used his days of rebellion in his youth to prepare him for gospel ministry to others now. I know hearing this testimony will be a blessing to you. It was to me when Ben first shared it with me, so stay with us. After the program, I want to send you a resource with historic songs of the faith called Then Sings My Soul. Robert Morgan shares the backstories of 150 hymns, and he includes the sheet music and lyrics so you can sing along with the hymns. We've already heard from so many listeners of how this book has blessed them and their loved ones. What makes these songs special is how they point to the great hope we have in Jesus. So after the program, come to our website, see the book for yourself, make your gift at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And if you'd like to get extra copies, as so many have been doing, to give away as well as have one for themselves, then just ask about that when you call us after the program by calling 800-65-HAVEN. 800-65-HAVEN. And don't forget to check out our Great Stories podcast, where we have the uncut interview with Cambridge scholar and Christian theologian and world-renowned poet Malcolm Geit. We have a longer version from what we shared in the program earlier this week, which I know will be encouraging for you to hear. 
Now let's open with another hymn from Then Sings My Soul, All I Have is Christ, Anchor Hymns featuring Paul Balash and Leslie Jordan. He's from Greater Cleveland, and we're having him on today to share his story, a Christian you should know. Ben Roberts is a pastor at a church in Vancouver, British Columbia, at the church where the late J.I. Packer was part of for many years. So, Ben, my brother in Christ, thanks for joining me here for the first time on Haven Today. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Well, it would be so easy if I said, tell me your story, and you started by saying you were born in a Christian home, raised, you were even homeschooled, I know, but let's crank that up a little bit. Yes, today you're a pastor in a church. Let's start with your teenage years, and your life began to change. At first, it was not for the better either. Mm -hmm. You want to just tell us a little bit about your story? Well, I grew up in a town called Hudson, Ohio, which is kind of located right between Cleveland and Akron. So we claim both from time to time as uh, as our neighborhood. And in terms of my faith, I grew up in a home where my mother was a Christian and, and took us to church, was very interested in us learning the faith. But my father was not. And he had grown up attending church, but had walked away, had become suspicious of the church over the years. And so my reality was going to church with my mom, going to Sunday school, feeling a bit perhaps disinterested would be the right word. Maybe bored would be another word you could use as a child. Okay. You have at least a brother, I know. Do you have any other siblings too? I do. Yeah, I have an older sister and a younger brother. And, uh, And they came along. And I would say that their 
their reaction to church was not the same as mine. So I think they were pretty, pretty happy to grow up in the church, pretty happy to, to be engaged. But for me, at some point, what might have been disinterest grew into something that might be called animosity or, or, or difficulty, where I decided, you know, I don't think this is for me. I don't, I don't think I, I believe this. I'm not sure if this is the way that I want to live uh, in the Christian way. And I would say that those questions started to hit me around 11 or 12, kind of just before adolescence, I started thinking, I just don't think this is true. I just don't think I believe this. And so I started asking a lot of questions at that point. Now, was your mother horrified or did she realize what was going on at this point? Because you were being homeschooled, you know, (laughs) all those ducks were supposedly in a Right order, in her mind, at least. Yeah, that's right. Raising her Um, child. You know, I don't think she really knew, to be honest. We were studying Christian curriculum, and we were going to a solid church. But I think for me, those doubts were internal. They weren't something that I wanted to express or talk about with my family or or friends at that point. And I started thinking, I'm just not sure that, that what the church is telling me is who I think I am or where I think I'm going. But I wouldn't say my family was aware of that at that point in time. Well, and and what you went through a number of years ago now is what so many even more kids in, quote, Christian home are going through today. And it's a bit tragic, even as we've been talking on the program about all the churches that have been closed Mm. or closing. COVID kind of sped that up. Younger people walking away from the faith and not taking part of the faith. So, all right, here you are. You're about to turn a teenager. You're beginning to have these doubts. Is it really true? Is it what I'm being told at church correct? And so then what happens in your life? Time goes on, but not too far. Yeah. So I I would say that what happened is that those doubts kind of crystallized and perhaps accelerated a little bit. And so, I began to think to myself, this is not true, and I want to live the way that I want to live, and I want to do what I want to do and pursue what I want to pursue. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that really sunk in around the age of 13 or 14, in particular with some of the other friends that I was with, and we were full of hormones. We were excited to explore and take on the world, and I just thought, I want life to be mine. I want to be the pilot of my life. (laughs) steer it in the direction that I want to go. I just had the thought to myself, there's no right and wrong. There's no, uh, Mm -hmm. there's no person that Mm -hmm. can decide for me what I should or shouldn't be doing. And therefore I should just do whatever feels right. I should follow my heart as it were. I should do what's fun. I should do what's in front of me. And, you know, coupled with that as a sense of, I'm not sure if this means anything. I'm not sure why I'm here. Kind of a teenage existentialism oh, was, was going so on angsty. in you. At I was that so point. angsty. So here you started down a road that started almost in a philosophical way, but then it took on more form as well, and it got you into trouble, didn't it? It certainly did. My thought, my belief that I should be in control and that God shouldn't have a say led me to some pretty rebellious acting out over several years. So The way that it really played out was a lot of anger and uh, kind of external behavior. And so 
I think eventually it culminated in us wanting to put our anger and sense of lostness out into the world onto other people. And so mm-hmm. we started starting fires around various places in our, in our hometown. And it started small, but there was one particular fire that we started where it didn't stay small. It spread and mm-hmm. ended up destroying a number of cars, a number of property of a local business. That was the wake up call for me. <laughs> mm. At that point, I was disgusted with myself. I stopped and looked at what I was doing, and I thought, "What? What's the point of using my frustration and anger to just destroy someone else's property? Why would I? Why would I do something like that?" But it didn't just end there. It didn't go away. You'd been doing bad things, and you had to take the fall for that too, didn't you? I certainly did. So at this point in my life, I was still frustrated, still didn't know where I was going or why I was why I was alive. And I had caused a massive amount of destruction to uh, to my hometown, but it was a secret. Nobody knew. We hadn't gotten caught. And I was in this phase where I wanted to change, but didn't know how. And it was right into that moment that I would say God really directly intervened in my life. Mm-hmm. And so at mm. this point, I was still going to church with my family. You were the good boy uh, on Sundays. I, I looked like it was all together. I'm sure <laughs> okay. I was a bit okay. sulky when I was there. But um, <laughs> I remember being in the lobby of the church and a woman that ran a Bible study for some of the high schoolers in the church said, I think that Ben needs to come to our Bible study. I'd really love him to come to our Bible study. And I did not want to go. <laughs> I did not want to go. But I was just kind of, uh, I was kind of cornered and I was just like, okay, you know, I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll show up, I'll attend. So I start attending this Bible study. And this is a really significant period for me because I'm open. I have maybe for the first time able to bring questions to the faith that I hadn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've started mm-hmm. to see that the consequences of my philosophy or my way of thinking about the world were disastrous. And so I went to this Bible study, and I was listening, and I was studying. For the first time, I would say, taking it seriously, what does God have to say about these things? Mm -hmm. What does God have to say about the world? So you're at this point Mm. where you're almost, I would describe, a seeker. You were a seeker. That's right. At this point. I think so. But how then did you decide you wanted to truly follow Jesus? So I had this window to be re-looking, to be seeking, to be attending the Bible study, asking questions about the faith. But then one morning, my mom got a phone call from the police. They said, this is the police, Uh and Uh uh, we'd like you to bring your son down to the police station for questioning. So she hung up on the phone and she said, I don't know what you've done, but whatever you've done, we're going to go down to the police station and you need to tell them what it is. So we got in the car. We drove down the street to the police station. I got out. The police said, here's a computer. We'd like you to sit down and write down anything you'd like to comment about some of these events that have happened in our city, what role you played in them. I sat down and- You started confessing. Oh, I wrote, I wrote my entire confession. It was, like a, it was like a 10-page document. Because the guilt and the weight of this had been hanging over me for mm. months and months. And confession is like that, isn't it? It can be- a great healing balm to us to finally mm. bring those things out into the open and say, yes. I own up to what I did. And I, I know that it was, I know that it was wrong. 
So I, I submitted the police that were kind of handling this interview. They took it and they brought it out to my mother and they said, did you know about any of this? Like, look at what your son just wrote. Your poor mother. Yeah, I know. Uh, it was not a good moment for, uh, for her. And so they said, we, we can't let him, we can't let him go home. There's, there's a multiple counts of, of arson in here, like a massive amount of destruction has taken place. And so they said, he's going with us to juvenile detention immediately. And that's what happened. They uh, led me out. They put me in a car in the back of a cruiser and they took me to juvenile, to juvenile detention jail right away. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and yet I know from your having told me this story before, Ben, this was how the Lord finally broke through into your life. That's right. I got to juvenile detention and I remember laying in my cell that evening and that was when I would say I became a Christian because I started to pray and it wasn't just confessing to mm. the police officer or to, to the people around me, what I had done wrong, but it was confessing to the Lord, what I had done wrong. And it was like all of those pieces that had been built into my life over the years, explaining who God was, that he was a God that offered forgiveness, that he was the Lord of all that we owed our lives and our obedience and our allegiance to him. All of those pieces finally lined up for me. They finally made sense for me in that moment. And I was able to pray to God and say, I don't want to be the God of my life anymore. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to forgive Mm -hmm. me and I need to do it your way. I want to do it your way now, (laughs) whatever that means, whatever the costs, however long I'm in here in detention for, I want to follow you now. Mm. How long were you there? So uh, starting that night, I was in juvenile detention for three months. When I was sentenced, I was sentenced to six months uh, originally, but I was released early on probation for good behavior. Let me ask you this, Ben. You're not just a pastor today. You're a dad. Mm -hmm. How do you think your experience has prepared you to be a father to your children today? One of the things that I left out previously was in between my kind of time of rebellion and my conversion, there was another important conversion, which was that my dad became Christian and was Mm. baptized. Praise God. As I look back on it, I think it was extremely significant to my own ability to, to, to come to faith. And I think that the Lord gives us parents, gives us family, and if we're Christian parents, he gives us the task of passing along the faith to our children. And we like to think about taking our kids to Sunday school and taking our kids to youth and that they'll teach them the faith and that they'll, they'll raise them up. And those are good things and, th- and those are right things. But the first evangelist in a child's life is always their parents. Hmm. Good point. That's our job as parents. And so that's how I think about parenting now is I think about sharing the gospel with my children and letting the gospel shape how I lead them and discipline them. And so that means that I'm leading them through a lens of grace. And I'm saying, yes, we're broken. Yes, we make mistakes. And this is what we do when we make mistakes. We confess it because we know that God loves us and he's provided a way for us. We ask for help to change, to grow. And then we set an attention to, to obey him, knowing that he's going to empower us to do it. And so I, I think that's how I 
have come to think about it since. Hmm. That's meaningful. Our time is up. Why don't you pray for other dads and moms and other kids that are growing up right now? Would you lead us in prayer right now, Ben? Absolutely. Lord Jesus, we've spent some time talking about how you are both the Savior that forgives us, sets us free, meets our deepest needs in forgiving our sin. But you are also Lord, and you are the one that we need to obey, the one that knows who we are, how you made us, where we should go. And I pray for everyone listening that we would either be reminded of this reality, that you stand as God's judge, as his authority, and that you stand as a savior, welcoming us back to him. Mm. Lord, remind us of that if we know that. Yes. Encourage our hearts with it. Or if we haven't yet realized it, Lord, I ask that you would open those people's hearts to come to understand the good news of the gospel, who you are. Lord, I pray for those that have children, as well as those that are growing up and those that are working to discover who they are and why they're here. Lord, I pray that you would work within those families. Give parents the strength to be evangelists to their children in both word and deed. Give them a confidence in you and your grace, your ability to guide and protect. And we pray for the youth out there that might be going through something like uh, what I went through, a sense of despair, a sense of depression, perhaps a sense of, uh, of lostness, not knowing where, why they're here, where they're going. And we pray that you would do for them what you did for me and for so many others. Make yourself known to them through difficulty or some other way that you, uh, by your spirit, would work in their hearts and that the word of God would come alive to them. So we commit all these things to you. Amen. Amen. Ben Roberts, my brother in Christ, it's been really nice having you share your story. And thank you for being on the program with me today. Thank you, Charles. It's been great to share with you today.
This is Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris. You're in a series this week with us called Christians You Should Know. I'm very grateful that Ben Roberts could join me on the program today. His story is just one of many that show God's grace is never far away. We may want to be the captain of our own lives, but our Heavenly Father is waiting and willing to receive His prodigal children. Just as we go, I want to remind you that we are listener-supported, and it's a thanks for your gift to help us keep sharing the great story with others. I'd like to send you Robert Morgan's book, Then Sings My Soul. It's full of the backstories of 150 hymns that so many of us know and love. The lyrics are rooted in God's Word, and the tunes help these truths stick in our minds and hearts. I think this book is of great value. It'll help you spend devotional time with the Lord, especially as life gets busy again with school coming back into session for so many of us and our families. So I want to invite you right now to visit our website, take a look at Then Sings My Soul by Robert Morgan, and then make your gift at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And a reminder again that this is a wonderful book to share with friends, family, or even a Bible study. So you can ask about multiple copies when you call us at 800-65-HAVEN. 800-65-HAVEN. Don't forget, you can hear the full-length conversation I had with world-renowned poet and pastor Malcolm Geit on the Great Stories podcast. You can listen wherever you find your podcasts or get details at haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again together, we'll share the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. If we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't seem as though we've changed all that much through the years. Yes, we believe in Jesus and love Him, but there are still those stubborn sins that we fall into. It can be quite discouraging, right? But there is good news. Even though we don't see the change, change is happening. It may come to us quite gradually. It may seem to be slow moving, but we're being made to look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 3, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Take heart, friend. Change is happening. It'll continue to happen until we're home with Jesus. Get daily encouragement with Anchor Devotional. Visit getanchor.com.